Thank you for that early entrance to the talent quest. Appreciate that. And uh, maybe we shouldn't have a talent quest. I think we should just have a spelling bee. All right, I just... <laughs> Trust me, that wasn't even a gag, all right? That was actually how they spelled congrats, all right? So, uh, anyway, HSC's over. No need to spell anymore. All right, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5 this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And uh, we're going to continue on here, and, and Lord willing, into the, just the first half of January, just finish off the book of First Timothy. It's, I feel like we've been in this book for five years, maybe, but it's been a while, and um, I really do think that we need to just continue on and just finish what the, what the Bible's teaching in regard to authentic church. And again, this, uh, this letter to Timothy... Paul's son in the faith is instructive for us um, in how we ought to behave, how we ought to uh, be as a, as a church. And chapter 5 is, is all about family matters, family concerns. And last time we picked it up, we were discussing a needy a group, especially in that day, but as well as in our midst even, the, those widows who were widows indeed. And so we're going to contrast that. We're going to look at a couple of verses here, and, and then we'll see how, how much further we go. But look at verse 9, and then we'll read down to a verse, let's see, we'll read down to verse, uh, verse 16, all right? So let's look at verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number unto three score, under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may, be re that it, it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So, this whole section of the book of First Timothy deals very specifically about how to deal with those who are needy in the church, a group specifically widows of the church. And as I mentioned here, we can learn a lot about how we ought to treat those who have great needs, but also understand that God then puts some qualifiers as far as how we ought to, how we ought to recognize those who are widows indeed, and those who are not. And, and notice again in verse 9 that he says there that uh, he, he puts there a, an age bracket. Let not a widow be taken into the, into the number under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. So he's saying for those who are widows indeed, they cannot include those who are 60 years and below. He's saying those that are, are above that, then you need to consider them in, in uh, making sure that you're supporting them but those who are under the, taken into the number under three score years old. 
So below 60 years old, then you are not to treat them as widows indeed. You are to allow their families, which we, we see later on in verse 16, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. And really, for the reason, let not the church be charged that it may be relieved them that are widows indeed. So the church's responsibility was to those that the Bible identifies for us as, as those that are widows indeed. And we won't, we won't, for the sake of time, rehash those, um, those qualifications there. But we see some of that here in verse 9. He says, having been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers... If she have washed the saint's feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. So he, he's saying there that to the, the, the church here, that they need to take into account those who are above the, the age of 60 as, as specially needy, especially those that, that the church needs to focus on. And, and really the church at that point, if they have done these things that we've seen in verse 10, they're chargeable or responsible for the, for the relieving of the needs of those that widow. And, and so again, uh, just like he puts some qualifiers to those that he calls into office, the deacons and the pastors of the church, notice that he puts some qualifiers as far as this specific group, the widows who are widows indeed. And, and um, so in this, this church, this Ephesian church, they must have had a role of widows who are above 60 years of age that were qualified to be relieved, financially supported as widows indeed. And again, we see those qualifications that are laid out. They're over 60 years of age. They were a one-man woman. And notice there, again, um, as per the, de- the pastor and the deacon, that, that acknowledgement that they were to be that, they had to have an established reputation of good works. So he lists those out for us. They brought up their children well. Her children well. They, he's, she's given uh, hospitality. She's, she's served Christ with her church family. And they, she's met special needs of others. And was, was uh, devoted to the doing of these. So God takes seriously there how, how it is that we are to support those who are uh, qualified as widows indeed. And so he gives this warning then about younger widows being part of this list. Notice in verse 11. But the younger widows refuse. And it's interesting there he says refuse. That's a, that's a strong word. It, it refuses a strong word meaning to avoid or, or to beg off, to, to, to say, look, as, as, as much as there's a, there's a need in your life, the responsibility doesn't lie on the church. To, to, to overcome these things in your life, you are to look to your family. You are to look to your children that you are ra- raising up in the things of, of God. And, and at that stage, there God gives those qualifiers. And He says the younger widows refuse. So how do we define that? Well, He really defined, this, defined it for us in verse 9. Those who are under three score years old. Saying those are younger widows. And He's saying there the younger widows refuse For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. And so he gives this this indication that we are, it's it's a blunt warning from the Apostle Paul there. So he sees in the younger widows, Paul's observation was that they were prone to look for another husband once their grief had subsided. And and so he was saying their wax wanton, their their desire is to find another, 
to, to care for them, uh, to, to ensure that they are cared for. And, and so he, he warns to say, uh, to say look, uh, you are to look at those who are widows indeed, uh, for them to be the ones that you would honor and, and really in the church's sense there to support. And so they were prone to look for another husband once their grief had subsided. And because of that then, it was therefore more difficult for them to focus on service for Christ because the natural tendency was a desire for companionship and intimacy with another husband. husband. And this was much stronger in younger widows. It was an understanding that from, a, from, a, um, from that level, there was a greater desire and a greater, uh, the, the Bible calls it, to wax wanton against Christ. And, and understanding that their commitment to, uh, to give themselves to the service of Christ was less so because they had divided desires. A desire to then marry. And, and I think this is also instructive for us as we think about then how God instructs those who are younger. Really, His, his focus for them was to, to find someone, in, in this case widows who had lost their husband, but to find another to support them. And really, this is instructive for the mindset of God for those who are younger ladies in the church as well. And, and uh, even those who are not widows, in other passages of Scripture, the Bible is clear to say that they ought to desire um, to, have, uh, to, to find uh, a life partner, a spouse to, to be able to continue to serve God with. And so he gives this out, and, and notice um, in verse 12. He says, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. Now, if you isolate that verse without putting it in context, uh, some could easily say, well, that, is that speaking about losing salvation? No. Correct, church? Uh, we, we never use uh, an obscure verse to judge clear passages of Scripture. Okay, The Bible tells us that once we're saved, then we've been sealed until the day of redemption. You can't lose your salvation. So this can't be speaking about losing salvation. What, they're saying, what he's saying here in verse 12, this damnation was not of one of eternal consequence, but really a temporal consequence. It, it was a temporal judgment for those widows who remarried after giving a pledge or promise to serve Christ without distraction. Because that's really what was the, the case of those older widows. They, they were able to then focus on serving Christ in those capacities. And so what he's saying about the younger widows is, is they have a tendency to want to marry again and they do that, it's awkward. Because they may have made a promise to serve Christ for the rest of their lives. But then they, they have a tendency to be remarried and therefore cast off their first faith in the sense of their promise to serve Christ. Alright, so, so the, this term casting off their faith is really this, describing their reneging on the promise of serving Christ after finding a suitable husband. And so he's warning the, the, um, the leadership in the church, warning Timothy not to include them in those that they would define widows indeed. All right? And so uh, someone said it this way. A commentator said it this way. Uh, the explanation for Paul's strong words apparently lay in his view of widowhood as a spiritual commitment. He did not want younger widows to accept the calling of widowhood and then renounce that call with the appearance of any eligible man. It was better to allow them to plan for remarriage as he directed in verse 14. So he says then in verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry. 
In verse 13, what Paul envisions are the complications if there's such an arrangement was given to younger widows. All sorts of complications could arise if the church tried to capitalize really on the emotional susceptibility and financial needs of a young widow. Notice what he says there, and withal, they learn to be idle. And he's warning there, and he's, he's not, he's not um, characterizing them. He's just saying that these could be complications. These could be inherent in those younger widow, widows. And he, notice what he says in verse 13, they learn to be idle. And he's warning, he's saying this, this could be a complication, idleness. So in the sense of adverse to anything productive. We all know the saying, idleness is the devil's workshop. We understand that idleness is, is something that we all must fight. We understand that it was better for, for people to labor. And when we forget laboring, we can find ourselves in much mischief at times and it comes out of idleness. And, and again, with all they learn to be idle, notice what he says next, wandering about from house to house. And notice there, and, and really this has the idea of wastefulness. They were just being wasteful, sort of just socializing. And this wasn't house-to-house visitation like the older widows, but in the sense of wasting their time, having no purpose, going wherever the wind blows. And, and that's generally the, the characteristic at times of youth. You know, there's no responsibility, and therefore you sort of take your time for granted. I'm not saying that, that every young person's that way. And in fact, we ought to take this as a warning from Scripture that we ought not to behave that way. We, those of you who are younger in your age, this, this ought to be a warning of things that are undesirable in the sight of God. And, and so he says that they wander from house to house. And then he says, not only idle... But notice what he says next, but tattlers also and busybodies. And what he says there, tattlers are those that are, it's, it's really talkativeness in the sense of empty words. The concern about wasted time turns into wasted talk. And the Bible does warn us about wasted talk. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth refraineth his lips is wise. And so this understanding that, they were, that there's a tendency to be tattlers, and then he says, and busybodies, and what busybodies were, they were just lazy. They were just sort of engaging in everyone else's business without being productive. They were meddling in others' affairs, but the idea that they were there to meddle but not to labor not to actually produce, not actually to work. And 2 Thessalonians 3.11, busybodies has the idea of doing things that, dis- that are distracted from the profitable use of time. And, and so he's warning them that there's a tendency in, in young widows to be that way. And he's warning that, that these need to be avoided. And it, it's good for us to, uh, to, to warn young, uh, young ladies not to be such a way. Then in verse 13, again, he says, speaking things which they ought not. And what that is, is, is maliciousness. Idleness turns to idle talk, which turns to gossip and maliciousness. And Paul warns against subsidizing younger widows and placing them in a situation 
where they were wasting their time and doing damage within the church. And again, he's giving a scenario here that is a warning. And again, can I just say to you younger ladies here, this is a, this is a good indication of a warning of, of things that, we, that you, ought to, you, ought to, uh, you ought to avoid, things that you ought not to be in behavior uh, by. The, the, these aren't, should be characteristics that you should avoid in your life. And, and what then Paul gives is, is his prescription for the younger widows in verse 14. It says, I will therefore that the younger women marry. And, you know, the Bible tells us that, the, that marriage is a good thing. The Bible says it's a bed undefiled. And I know, I know that it's a good desire that, that we ought to have. And the Bible, again, affirms this. You know, we live in a day where really um, there's, a, there's a forbidding to marry. Really where, where, where the idea of marriage is, has become a bit, uh, a bit yesteryear's plan. A bit of an old mentality a bit of a traditionalist value, but the reality is God in His Word upholds marriage. And it ought to be for you parents who have single children, you ought to desire that, you ought to pray for them about that. And His prescription to, for these younger widows, or the, really these younger ladies, what that, was that these younger women marry. And then notice what He then says, and bear some children. And you know, sometimes... We can overbalance and think that within the context of the local church, that that's all women ought to do, that they just sort of get married and bear children. Well, what we're exposing is, is his teaching here, but if you look at the rest of Scripture, you understand that women play a role in the local church. It may not be in, in leadership as in teaching the Word of God to, to those uh, in an audience like this with, other, with men, but we understand that they are to rear children. They, they played a part. Paul often called them fellow laborers in the gospel. In fact, there were significant ladies in, the, in, the, in Paul's time who uh, were, were business people who, who really financed some of the work that Paul was able to do. And so understand again that you can't isolate one verse and then think that's all God has to say about it. All right, so ladies, don't, don't, um, don't fret today. We're not saying that all you do is get married and have children. And in fact, can I just say this? Don't diminish that calling. God's highlighting it. So, so we're, not, we're, we're having a balance here. We're, we're being balanced here in the Scriptures. That's a good thing that God highlights. So don't despise that either. Don't just go, well, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to just you know, follow the trend. It's not a trend, it's God highlighting it as a good thing, all right? And, and so don't make it this thing that, that it only defines you, know, it's part of it, but then also overbalance and not, not look at it as a good thing. You understand? And we ought to, we ought to encourage those. And I, again, I'm so glad for all of our ladies who uh, go through that, that time. And again, we announced this morning, had a, another addition to the church per se, another growing family, and we ought to desire that for our young people. We ought to desire that for them, that God will bless them with the fruit of the womb, that God would bless them with children, because God highlights that as a good thing, all right? And, and there's a trend today to sort of leave that. It's inconvenient. 
And, and we understand there are those who desire that but cannot. And we understand that there's other mechanisms of that, adoption and so forth. But we also understand that if you're able to, then, then God is highlighting that as a good thing. As a good thing that ought to, we ought to encourage and, and desire in, in the marriages that, that are in the local church. And then he says, guide the house. And then he says this, give none occasion Give none occasion to the adversaries to speak reproachfully. And so he's saying, desire marriage, desire to to rear children, guide the home. And he says the adversary to speak reproachfully. And the church in controversy always allows the devil to accuse God. And that's what he was trying to avoid. He was trying to avoid in the church idleness. He was trying to avoid in the church... uh, these complications that really turn into controversies that allows the devil to accuse God. And, and listen, you know, the devil's ploy and the devil's desire is, is to use God's very people to point at God. And, and, and church, listen, if we're unguarded and if we just sort of think the way we want to think and we, we, we don't consider God's plan and God's method and, and really by faith understand that it is for the best, then what happens is we allow ourselves to, to show, uh, to, to think that we have wisdom over God, and then that generally turns into a not-so-good thing, does it? And, and it, it causes then, it allows the devil to accuse God. And, and then he follows that up in verse 14, uh, 15, for some are already turned aside after Satan. And he's saying there are those already in the church who have allowed themselves to unwittingly propagate the devil or the enemy's plan. And he says he follows that up again with a warning of those that have already gone astray. And in this, Paul clarifies who the adversary is. It's not, the, it's not those young widows it wasn't those that were, were um, those perhaps even families who were meant to be relieving them of their need. No, Paul clarifies who the adversary is. It's the devil. He's got a ploy as well. So when, when we don't follow the counsel of the Bible and allow idleness in place of busyness for the Lord, Satan has successfully recruited another to his course. When we're idle when we don't follow God's prescription in, in the way we do church, we, we then allow the, the devil to, to take another one and recruit another one for his ploys, for his tactics. And so he warns, he says, some already have turned. And he's, he's really, in that sense, giving them a warning, but also giving them an imperative to examine how they are, to examine how they're responding to the instructions that he has given. And so he moves on now to verse 17. And let's read verses 17, 21. We'll see how far we go in the next five or ten minutes. He moves on to another group of people. So he deals with, with, uh, with family members. He deals with the, uh, the, the widows who are widows indeed. And then he deals with those younger widows. And now he deals with another group in the church where, that we'll see in verse 17. Look at, look at verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. 
For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others may also fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. And so he instructs Timothy now in regard to another group in the church. They were the elders. And by this we mean those who have been given the task to oversee the work of the local church. So Paul goes already, has addressed, addresses this another specific group. And here we would be too hasty to assume that Paul was, again, continuing with the theme of elderly people in the church. However, it's, it's quite evident that Paul is referring to those who were overseers of the church, those who led the church. These would be the pastors, not just older men of the church. And Paul has already gone through the characteristics of elders or bishops in chapter 3. He uses the term bishop to describe them previously. But then the term elder is used in other places in Scripture really to describe the same office. And so he changes, he changes the, the group that he wants to address. And, and remember this, it is evident that as you go through the book of 1 Timothy, that, that Paul really is, is giving these things to Timothy because there was some difficulty really dealing with certain elders in the church. Certain those that God had entrusted with some leadership in the church. And, and so there's some things that were of issue here that he needed to correct. And he's saying here, let the elders that rule well. So Paul now gives instructions on how the elders are to be treated in the church. The elder or elders played a pivotal role within the church family. They're tasked to oversee. They're tasked to direct. They're tasked to feed the flock to be healthy sheep that will be useful and fruitful for the Lord's work. And so we understand that in God's structure of things, that He structures leadership in every form of institution that He has given. And within the local church, He has given those pastors and teachers, He's given those bishops and elders to oversee the work of God. And so we see that clearly laid out for us in Scripture. And, and so uh, please don't view this tonight as, a, as some, some sort of self-serving thing that I'm going to pronounce to you. I can't avoid Scripture tonight. The Scriptures address it. And so we will address it rather than avoiding it. You know, some people, uh, some pastors are, are um, they're a bit uneasy to deal with these, these verses. Uh, perhaps there's a motive in their heart that they haven't dealt with. But I'll tell you tonight that I just want to faithfully teach the Word of God. I don't, want to, I don't want anything out of this. I just want us to be a good church. And, and so he says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And I want you to note there's some expectations then. In verse 17, he says, let the elders that rule. And so the first expectation is this, elders are to rule. Okay, the word rule means to superintend or oversee. That's what it means. Okay, it's the same word as rule in, in, um, in chapter 3, verse 4, regarding a bishop's rule over the household. Okay, he is to rule his household well. And so it's that same word given there to superintend or oversee. 
And with this comes the expectation that elders are to have the authority in the church. To have uh, in mind its direction, its conduct, its execution of its commission. But the challenge is for the elder to rule, not haphazardly. He says rule well. That means not careless. That means not flippant. That means not with any kind of of casualness. To rule well, the elder must be governed himself. And not by the people, but by the Lord Jesus. There needs to be a recognition that the elder is appointed by the executor of God's will, the Holy Spirit. Hence, in this way, the elder is to rule as an authority, but as subservient to the will of God. And so thus the church is to be led by a pastor or pastors who have been gifted, proven, and appointed. And so he challenges them. The first expectation is that elders are to rule well. They are to to ensure that as they direct at the helm of the, the ship called the church, that they are to be directed by the winds of the Holy Spirit and guided by the instruction of the Word of God. And so church, if, you would, if I could say to you one of the things that you ought to be praying for, me and for those that, uh, that we appoint into those offices, you ought to be praying that we would rule well. And that you ought to strengthen our hands. Why? Because it's biblical. Because as we see it, we see that as, as if we would have our church to move forward in the things of the Lord, that it's imperative that elders rule well. But then notice here, he says, be counted worthy of double honor. honor. And what that is, is, is not only are they to rule well, they are to be rewarded. Okay, be counted worthy of double honor. There's a corresponding reward to those who rule well. Okay, to be counted worthy is to esteem someone highly valuable to the purpose of the group. All right, the, the Bible is giving an estimation here of pastors who have shown themselves to be ruling well. And, you know, we could, we could look at varying ways one can interpret double honor. Paul already referred to honor in regard to widows. Here he was saying that elders were to be honored doubly. And so whilst many would point to this as simply honorarium or pay, I think there's also an implication of being treated with great respect. This would be consistent with the teaching about elders in general. Okay, showing due respect based on a qualification, age in the general sense, but then also spiritual position in this specific sense of this office. And I think that's why. We ought to teach our, our children, not for my sake, but for honoring God's sake because it is His Word and His instruction that we ought, to, we, we ought to treat those who God has called into the ministry, those who are in the pastorate, we ought to have a, a due respect for them. We ought to teach our children to shake their hand. We ought to teach our children how to pray for them. We ought to teach our children that the calling that they've been given isn't because that man is special. No, it's because the office is special according to what God has given. And we ought to teach that. And you know, we live in a time, and I think we have a culture that really undermines authority and leadership in every part. Not just in the church, in the home, in government, 
and we have somewhat a bit of a cynical attitude that sometimes permeates into our hearts. And can I just say to you this evening, church, that ought not to be when we are people who say we believe the Word of God. Because the Bible begs to differ. And, and, and it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what God thinks. And so he's saying there that they ought to be counted worthy of double honor. Okay, the term honor does not refer merely to an honorarium, but also the failure to give proper pay would imply a lack of honor. Okay, the idea of double may refer to the double portion the eldest in the family received. If you look at Deuteronomy 21.17, don't, don't do that now. Write that down and look it up later. It probably consisted of the twin benefits of honor or respect and financial remuneration. The fact that pay was at least included shows that those who gave leadership to spiritual affairs could expect financial support from the church. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We see that in Galatians chapter 6. And so in verse 18, it is evident that Paul means this to include financial remuneration really as the, reward, as the word for reward is often translated as pay or in other forms like that in other passages of Scripture. And again, we won't take the time tonight, but you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-14, to 14, where really Paul was giving argument about the fact that there were those in the church who were questioning why he was being gifted certain things. And so he corrects that. Then he corrects that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Galatians chapter 6. And it gives great evidence really to the care in which pastors are to be given. And so the expectation was that they were to rule well, but then that they were to be rewarded for their, uh, for their leadership. And then he gives, them, um, he gives them in verse 17, he says, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So not only do we see some expectations of elders, but they are called for some specialization. They're to specialize about certain things, and the Bible says especially they who labor in the, in the Word and doctrine. So Paul gives special emphasis to those who taught God's Word. And you know what that says about the pastor? That he needs to study. That he needs to get into the Word of God. And really what that teaches us is just how elevated the Word of God needs to be. It's not about the talent of the man. He ought to be growing in his skill to be able to study. We understand that, those, that in, we see the vitality, the study and delivery of God's Word is to the health of a church. And again, it's interesting that, that God ascribes especially, he, he relates to ruling well the, 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 the study and delivery of the Word of God. He says especially those, especially those that, that labor in the Word and doctrine. So he's saying here that, you know, it, it, again, it's interesting that he gives that and not above other things. You know, sometimes we add things to the, uh, to the, to the expectations that God has to those who, who are meant to be laboring in word and doctrine. You know, sometimes there's an expectation of other things. And we understand we, we minister in this modern day. There's administration to do. There's, uh, there's uh, things to plan. But, you know, he doesn't especially highlight for the pastor these skills. He doesn't say, especially those who plan well. 
He doesn't say, especially those who are great at administration, although every leader ought to grow in those areas. But what he's highlighting, the skill that ought to be most rewarded, is the skill of those who can study, communicate, and teach the Word of God. That ought to have the premium in our hearts. And so elders are to specialize in studying the Bible. And, and study is the labor done in private, but this includes how to deliver the message. Elders are to specialize in communicating the Bible. Preaching is teaching is the joy in public. But this is the time when the private study is given. All right, so he's saying highlight that, specialize in that. But then he gives illustration in verse 18. Notice here. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor, laborer is worthy of his reward. Two illustrations he gives about the, the elder. He says he's to be the ox and the laborer. Okay, Paul uses two interesting illustrations to help Timothy emphasize to the church the kind of work a pastor does. And, you know, sometimes we joke around, and, and people have joked with me, especially those outside of our church, you know, some friends of mine in high school, they often say, hey, how does it feel to work one day a week? You know, and they don't know. And sometimes, you, 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 sometimes people looking in from the outside think that that's all we do. But let me tell you, that's not the, that's not the reality. Uh, oftentimes, there's times where we just go and go and go. And there's times where you're studying and you're meditating and you're, you're just arrested by, by the, the, just the depth of the Scripture that you need to deliver. And, and he gives these two, and really both, are be, uh, both, both illustrations, the ox and the laborer, they're both burden bearers. They, they both produce something. Uh, the ox. The ox in the Bible is the true beast of burden. Uh, it's repeated in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. And really those two places here where we, we see it, and in 1 Corinthians 9, it quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And, and again, the general idea is that the ox partakes in what it wrought in its efforts. We won't take the time, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, the Bible says those who, those who labor in the gospel should live off the gospel. And so he gives that, and, and the idea is as the beast, as that ox is treading out the corn, he is able to partake of that. He's able, as he faithfully treads out those things, to partake of what he is treading. But then the second illustration is the laborer. And really the laborer is one that is given a task, isn't it? You see, a laborer is rewarded or re recompensed or paid for the task he is called to do. So Jesus and the parable of the laborers in the vineyard see, shows that in Matthew chapter 20. It didn't matter what time the laborer was called, he was given a reward. And the general idea was a man, as a man worked faithfully and effectively, so should his reward be reflected. And really the scripture bears those illustrations out to to do two things. Firstly, to understand the balance, to understand it is labor, to, to understand that there is, though, a reward for that labor. And so the Bible teaches us that. And again, um, it's, it's, it's pertinent for us in our day 
to understand the balance that Scripture strikes. And, and there's an expectation for those that are called. But then there's also a specialization or, or, or really an understanding then of what is the result of that. And, and you know, I pray that, that as we grow, and you know, listen, we don't know the mind of God. You know, I'm, I pastor you now. But we don't know what God will do in future. I have no guarantee of tomorrow, just like you don't. And there will be others, if the Lord tarries, who will come after me. And so we need to have an understanding then of how that is, what is God's expectation of that. And so he'll, he'll follow this up and we'll, we'll pick it up from here, some general advice he then gives. All right, so let's pray and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you, Lord, for uh, Lord allowing us to just study your word tonight. I pray, dear God, that, Lord, you'd, you'd help us to then consider that and, and make application for it for us and Pray that, Lord, we just be faithful to your word. And, Lord, I pray that you go before us this week. Help us to serve you with gladness. Help us, Lord, to, uh, Lord, to rejoice in, in our labors for you. And I pray that you just be glorified in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. Let's all stand, Brother Alden. Let's sing a song. And let's sing the first and last. Thanks.